Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. How long did you take to record the new one? <sighs> Over the course of three months, because I had tours in between. And then we resume again, you know, uh-huh. out and then resume. Yeah. So, probably started in, uh, how month is this now? December. I can't think. That's December. Oh, we started yeah, it's almost in... Christmas. Yeah, we started... <laughs> I can't tell when we started. Right. I don't know. It's just over the course of three months. Yeah. You know, and uh, it was a cool thing to do because, you know, after the first one, actually did very well the first one. Oh, yeah? You know, and I think we, you know, having it done at Abbey Road. Right. You know, lent itself a lot of publicity possibilities. It's all about the story. Story was it was oh man the story got better and better. You catching any of this? Yeah, yeah we're catching it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The story the story got better and better because um, it was like a last minute decision to um, to record. You know, like my version of of, of particularly you know the uh, the catalog of the Beatles. You know, prim- primarily Lennon and McCartney and. Um, and what happened was I, I had some days off in the summer tour. We're always touring over there in Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the members of the band are uh, they're from Europe. You know, mm-hmm. So they get to fly home on days off. So I was sitting in this hotel. I was actually going through a divorce at the time. So I was really miserable. Right. And, um, and then uh, I said, man, i got to do something with my time. But, you know, otherwise, yeah, you, you know, it could, it could, you know... You, be, you might be reading about me in the, in, the, in, the, in the paper soon. Yeah. So I'd rather them read something about me recording. Right. So I, 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 I found myself in, in this uh, hotel in Prague. I was said, you know what? I, got, I, I should do something with the Beatles stuff. It's always been in the back of my mind. And um, all I need to do is find a studio and just, and just do it as simply as possible mm-hmm. without a lot of overdubs. Like solo and acoustic kind of thing? Acoustic thing only. Yeah. You know, and with, with all the percussion being done on the guitar. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I love playing percussion. Yeah. So I didn't want to bring in any kind of production, and I want to do the whole thing myself and just blend, you know, the aesthetic of what, what they're all about mm-hmm. with those great songs. Great melodies. Amazing. And also harmony, too. Yeah, harmony. You know, when you really dig into the music... You know, there was a lot of substance to it, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was with the vocal or without, you know, there was a lot to, to work with. So what I did, you know, invoking my my stamp into the music, I I syncopated a lot of a lot of the parts. Right. You know, and the, the way that I would do my own music. Yeah, it's like a signature. And, you know, and still respecting uh, that great music that, to me, just brings back all of those beautiful memories of childhood, you know? Mm-hmm. It's funny, it, it's come full circle. What do you mean? It The music's come full circle in my life, you know? It's, uh, you know, you start out with maybe something a little bit before the Beatles, but it was still at the beginning period. Mm. And they were responsible for a lot of us playing electric guitar. Yeah. So... Uh, they were the primary, you know, inspirations. Yeah. 
and other than the ventures and those other little side groups that we all liked as well yeah. at the time. Well, me and, sitting here with you is full circle for me because I started <laughs> out listening to your records. Oh, cool. Yeah, very young. So anyway, so it was, keep it was, going. It was, yeah, so you go through that whole amazing, uh, you know, journey uh, from their first record, which my sister brought home, mm. Meet the Beatles. So she's seven years older than me. So okay. she was the one that introduced me to, to uh, what was the beginning rage okay. of this new sound. Yeah. And it was a rage. I mean, everybody was going crazy. What year was that? Uh, well, I was... Look, I'll tell you the year. It had to be uh, 62 or 63. Okay. okay. How old would you have been then? I was like nine, eight or nine. Eight or nine, okay. So it was, uh, it was something I also dug a lot. And then, you know, that, that moment in time of history uh, that... I would say 75% of the population tuned into yeah. the Ed Sullivan show. Right. We were all waiting for that show. Yeah. And it just completely changed the world forever. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So then, you know, I was obsessed with records and guitar. And, you know, I was uh, a guitar student at a very young age, you yeah. know, right away. With a jazz and, uh, teacher, too, right? Yeah. The kind of teacher I had was more of a jazz guy, an yeah. old-world jazz guy. Mm -hmm. But he also loved the Beatles stuff. I mean, he right. he loved the, the harmonic sophistication of, of pieces like Michelle and Yesterday. Mm -hmm. and, and to this day, you know, you analyze those pieces and go, you know, how the hell did Paul write, right. <laughs> write these pieces? Yeah. You know, it's just natural talents that... You know, are with us in every day, every day in our lives. Mm -hmm. There's there's always something about any one of the four Beatles that we see every day in our life somehow, mm -hmm. television or a magazine or some reference, some phrase or something. Yeah. So anyway, so not to get off the subject, but they they obviously went through that whole period of the first few records, mostly having to do with you know. Girls and love and, mm -hmm. you know, very positive, sweet things. Right. As the concept. Tunes got more and more interesting as they as they wrote. And then when they made that decision to quit touring right. in the mid-60s, 66 or whatever that was, uh, and just record, go to the studio every day, then, you know, you could see how their experimentation with George Martin's help and the the added orchestrations and sound effects mm. just broadened their their horizons, you know. Yeah. Their their uh, their dealings with the Indian uh, influences and everything uh, just kind of brought a whole new sound that we were almost not ready for, but right. it was like ultra hip. Right. They were inventing the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, they were actually the first world music fusion band. That's interesting. They didn't even <laughs> yeah. know they were at the that's, time. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to it, you yeah. know, within you, without you, and you yeah. go, damn, is this good. Tomorrow never knows. If this came out now, this would be great. Tomorrow oh, yeah. never knows. Yeah. I mean. No, we're not doing any better than they were. You know what's funny about yeah. it? You bring up Tomorrow Never Knows, and it's like, I just still say to myself, if Ringo was doing his show, he should be doing those songs. Yeah. He doesn't have to sing those songs. Yeah. You got a line of singers in the front, those four guys, you know, from famous bands. They all have great vocal ability. Yeah. 
play tomorrow. I never know. Play tickets to ride. Yeah. Everyone loves those drum. I know. Un- unorthodox drum beats that. Yeah. That he invented. I was listening to a lot of interviews with you preparing for this, and I was surprised to hear you talk like big up Ringo on your when you played drums on your own thing, and you were talking about being Ringo-y. Right. And I was like, because I, I love Ringo as a drummer too, but your like rhythmic sensibility is real sophisticated. Right. So it was cool that you recognize him as like a really great, phenomenal drummer. Phenomenal drummer. I mean, I mean, not I saying mean he's, he's not a guy that didn't have a click track. Right. And and it was pretty damn, yeah, pretty pretty close to what a drummer would do with a click track, but but his he thought beyond the the actual drum kit, mm-hmm. which the best drummers always think beyond their instrument. They're always listening to everything to the whole thing. And I don't know if it's his decision to lay out in parts or just play a hi hat in the section. Mm. But you don't have a constant doom doom ga doom 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 ga yeah. like most drummers would yeah. do quite naturally. Especially in that period of time, yeah, he was a melodic drummer. He was a melodic drummer. He and he, and he gave space to the music. Mm. He played what was necessary, and almost perfect. Mm. You know, that was perfect. That little simple fill was. You know what? There couldn't have been something better. That was it. Yeah, yeah. The like hi hat things that are the yeah. hook of songs sometimes, or one of the hooks. Of course, it's blended in with with you know it's become embedded in our in our in our psyche. Yeah. And, our, and our, you know, every part of me knows exactly what's coming next. Mm-hmm. So when doing this record, uh, I wanted to have some of that. Mm. On the first record, I didn't want to have almost any of it. Mm. I wanted to do something completely more, a little slightly avant-garde-ish. Mm. But, but this one, I wanted to add in other instrumentation like bass and drums. And, mm. and I did all the percussion I did some keyboard stuff, and um, yeah, so I wanted to, pieces like uh, Strawberry Fuels, it's like, you know, those first drum licks, you just expect them to come in. Mm. So I did it. So they're coming in. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Who'd you have play drums? Me. You play drums as well. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, and I got the same, um, also the same exact uh, Rickenbacker bass with the same string Flat wound strings that Paul uh-huh. used, but the same exact model Rickenbacker bass, right? Because it's a particular sound that he had with that, yeah. And it's I got it yeah. because it was the same bass. That's cool. So that was fun. It was fun to recreate some of that. That's fun. Yeah. And you had? Did you have any other musicians come in to the studio? Or the only, you- uh, yeah, I had Randy Brecker play a solo on on um, on uh, what's the song? Here comes the sun. Mm-hmm. No, not here comes the. Sun. Uh, I'll follow the sun. Mm-hmm. I'll follow the sun. He plays a solo on that, and then I had uh, this Indian tabla player, who uh, his name is Amit. Uh, very difficult last name. Uh, he came down from Boston. I think he's he's involved with Berkeley, but he's from India. Oh, okay. And he came down, and uh, I wanted to have some some tabla on Norwegian wood. Right. And also on this middle section that I wrote for uh, Strawberry Fields. Oh, you wrote some? Well, I wrote a lot of music on the record because a lot of the songs, as you know, were, you know, two minutes. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot you could do with two minutes. Right. So I actually added some original music yeah. to their music. To expand it. To expand it, yeah. yeah. Like, what would I have done with Norwegian Wood? Right. Because the melody is just, you know, if he's singing it, you don't, you don't, 
get the feeling at the end of the song, like, wow, that wasn't enough. Right. You feel like, wow, that was great. Yeah. But if you take the vocals out and it's an instrumental, yeah. you need more. Right. I see. So, so I just went in areas that hopefully, you know, lent itself as, as, a, as a respectable addition to, to what is already a gem. That's cool. So your sister influenced you by bringing the Beatles out. Yeah. Did you have any other siblings or just no, one, no. one sister? No. Yeah. And she brought all the records home at that, that age. That's cool. And we went to see, um, what was the first movie? Hard, Hard Day's, Day's Night. Night. Yeah, we went, we went to, actually went to both movies. She took me. So I was sitting amongst a whole theater full of girls screaming. And, you know, I was like, damn. Yeah. Cause this I was, really is great. Yeah. You know. I was going to ask you where you got your drive young to become the virtuoso you became. It, it did, uh, but that explains it partially. Sitting in a movie theater with screaming girls. Well, certainly you want you know the whole reason guitar players wanted to play guitar was to attract women. Mm-hmm. That was you know a, a big, a big part of it. You, we saw what, you know what Elvis Presley could do, and right. you know then we saw what the Beatles could do. So there's a certain aspect of it, of course, yeah. you know. It's the front man kind of sex god thing that that was there, but you no. Know, but it started off with my my fascination with the instrument, of course. Yeah, of course. And my teacher being uh, a jazz, I didn't pick him. I mean, he just was assigned to me. He happened to be uh, a guy that wanted me to learn, you know, scales and chord, different chord forms and things of that nature, and, and learn how to read at a very young age. Yeah, was highly beneficial in um, informing the the bass, and then at the same time I was absorbing what was coming up in pop music, with Beatles being number one, the Stones, everything coming out of England and L.A., and and then a little bit older, uh, like fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, I was in New York a lot, Fillmore East, mm, Bill Graham, got part of my education there. Yeah, and I got to to know bill graham and bill graham then promoted my shows later on and it was like right. every Live time i saw him i reminded him of uh you know being that kid on the line and him coming out there screaming at the at the kids on the line because they were calling him uh you know yeah. a pig a, a corporate pig a corporate pig for, char- <laughs> for, charging, for charging so much for tickets <laughs> <laughs> and and he instead of him just walking away or not even dealing with it, he right. would reason with them why he has to. That's I said, great. I never forgot that. Yeah. Because you didn't need to do that. Right. But you did that anyway. What did he say? He said, <laughs> I don't know what he said. I was in awe of it. Right. But the ticket, the tickets were three fifty. Yeah. Wow. Four fifty. Three hundred and three fifty in the balcony. Right? Four fifty no. <laughs> and five fifty for the best seats. Yeah. And I remember specifically one story. He says. I have to charge that. Yeah. Because, you know, guys like Elton John, they come over and they demand $5,000 a night. That's so it crazy. Isn't crazy. You know, you have to charge. <laughs> you know, he was making total sense, but, you know, yeah. the hippies wouldn't hear it. That's funny. They wanted music free. It was foreshadowing of things to come. Right. And then but, you had the kids, you know, like, like cutting in line and things of that nature. And, mm-hmm. and the Hells Angels were assigned to, which had a headquarters two blocks south of that. And uh, they were there just, just like, Beat heads, right? If you cut in line, and I and I saw a lot of that, and I said, "Holy Christ!" Yeah, it's amazing. But yeah, part of my education was was getting influenced by a lot of what I saw there, and 
going home and full of like, wow, you know. Yeah. I saw The Who for the first time, you know, Santana many times, Crosby, Stills, Nash, the Allman Brothers. Right. That actual album, Live at the Fillmore East, I was there at that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, so like, but most people that get involved in music don't end up like going to Berkeley and then Berkeley asking them to be like a teacher right away. Like, yeah, that, yeah. That happened. Well, they I mean, said, you get, you know, you should be teaching here. Yeah. You know, what are you doing? What, what are you doing coming here? Like? You should be teaching here. And I said, no, no, I'm, I, there's so much more to learn. Yeah. I mean, I'm at my age now. I don't even want to say what that is. But there's still there's just too much to learn. Yeah. I wish I can go back to school. Right. But I can't. Yeah. Not at this age. You can't go back to school. And then, you know, I was, I was you know, whatever, 17 years old, I, 18, whatever it may have been. Uh, definitely school was in the cards. There's a lot to learn. Still, yeah, there's a lot still, to learn. Still, always. Still. What gave you the drive to become that? Like, like, what did your parents do? I, I, and there's a little bit of, um, a little bit of, I'm not really religious, but something could have happened there. <laughs> you know, I had an, an accident oh. uh, when I was a kid. I, I actually fractured my skull and I went wow. in the hospital for two months. Holy shit. Dude. And I didn't expect to live. Wow. And it was really weird. It was like seven. Mm. And so um, I fell really bad from way high up. and um, On a tree or something? Yeah. Okay. Onto the driveway. And wow. it was uh, not expected to live. But when I got out, Unreal. miraculously, I had this like unbelievable, overwhelming sense of um, making it in music. Yeah. Not just playing music right making it young you needed it and and that was part of it and then uh a big part of it and i think my watching my dad work he was a construction guy mm -hmm. like a bull okay and i would go on jobs with him and he was a bull work ethic the just the hardest working guy on the planet earth mm. in fact he built this this little studio for me just, oh for real he was just a, a one-man bull mm -hmm. you know and i said well i think Working hard is the norm. No. <laughs> it's not really the norm the no. way he did it. Right. <laughs> but it does it did rub off, you know, and Yeah. Other than that, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but Yeah. You know. What's and, hard is maintaining that fascination through decades. Right. And not getting You know what I mean? Burnt. Yeah, of course. It's not the same. It's yeah. different. Yeah. It's not the same. What do you mean? I wish it was. Well, life changes. You become, yeah. uh, you know, maybe married once or twice or thrice. Mm. <laughs> you have kids. You have obligations. You have all kinds of other things. Plus, we've heard it and seen it all. Mm -hmm. Like movies. Yeah. We've seen it. There's hardly anything new that we can see, you know. Except for maybe the Joker. I don't know if you saw the new movie, Joker. I, I, uh, I saw. We, Damn, is it good? We had Rain Phoenix on the podcast, Joaquin's sister. She does a podcast. Really? And she's a great musician too. Okay, my wife yeah. and I have seen the Joker three times. And I've seen it once. Three times. Yeah, and by the way, the second and third time were as good as the first, if not better. Oh, for real? And we just bought it, yeah, so we're gonna out. now we can watch it over and over. And it's that kind of movie that. The acting is on another level that we've never seen. Mm -hmm. 
it's that good. Yeah. And there is a message. Yeah. And that's what that made it even more important. What's the message? Brain injury was exactly what I had. Wow. Only I didn't go, you know, I didn't I didn't have those uh let's say the results of what he had, you know, the affliction that he had. Yeah, but you revolutionized music, so, you know, <laughs> like, you know, you definitely did. If I should ever smile like he does, and I, I don't want to scare you guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're just doing it. You're doing it no, now. No, I'm, not, I'm no, terrified. His, his went up to here. <laughs> and then he shot the, the co-host. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. He shoots De Niro in the end. That's shocking. <laughs> yeah. So I won't play on the guns or anything. I was thinking about like your music in terms of movies because it reminds me of the way you use your technique and the fire in your playing, but it's always surrounded by, most importantly, the composition in the song. It reminds me of like a Martin Scorsese movie in that you can feel the tension of violence coming and he holds back and then all of a sudden the violence happens and that's when you rip. Mm. That's the same thing. Anyway, that was just the thought I had coming in here. I didn't know if you ever think about it like that. Because there's something filmic about what you do, too. There's, <laughs> I don't know where it comes from, but it's certainly in there. Yeah. And it just comes out naturally. Yeah. So it's, uh, I have to go back and listen to my earlier records and go, what the hell brought me to do that? Yeah. You know, which is okay. It's okay to have that. Um, but things have changed for me where, even though I started with, with a band that was my favorite band at the time, Return that's, to Forever. That's insane, dude. Is, I mean, my two favorite <laughs> bands were the Beatles I, and Return to Forever. I want to talk about that. And and how amazing and that there must be a God because I was 19. I get this call from Chick Corea, right. my favorite musician. And I'm in my... Not a dorm, but I had rented an apartment in, in Boston, Berkeley. living with my girlfriend at the time, going to school. And I get this call from Chick to uh, to basically come to New York. He goes, hey, Al? I said, yeah, who's this? It's Chick Corea. I said, okay, yeah, right. Okay, who's this? <laughs> Chick Corea, man. We just heard a tape that your friend Mike brought over, mm -hmm. a cassette tape. Yeah. My friend Mike was like my big brother. And... and he had he was like an amateur recording engineer, and he had made a tape of me playing with the Barry Miles Quartet on New Year's Eve, after he gave me a, a tab of acid. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I had the foresight to record. I had it. heard, I heard the tape awesome. years later, and I could swear it wasn't me. That's great. It was like I never played like that before. Mm. It was actually really really good. But I was doing things that I I couldn't do, right? Without it, without the <laughs> without the acid. Yeah, and that was the one and only time I did it. But but you should try microdosing. Yeah, I hope Chick wasn't disappointed because what he uh, heard he liked, <laughs> you know. But I never told him that, and uh, but that was the one. So so he heard the tape, the management heard the tape, and he said, "We got to get this guy to come to New York because." Uh, Bill Connors had left the band, and then they got like an interim guy, Earl Klug, who was primarily an acoustic player, yeah. very good at what he does, but definitely not with an electric persona. And um, it's amazing. I, I I I got the shot because I I had mentioned to Michael 
only a week before that, two weeks before that, Return to Fervor was in Boston while I was going to school. Mm. And we went to uh, the show at the Orpheum, and I saw Earl Clue playing with him, and I said, you know, Earl's great, but doesn't fit in the band. Boy, I would love a shot like that. And nothing else was said. Nothing else was said. He just took it upon himself to find Chick in New York City. Yeah. And where he lived, and so he stalked him. That's crazy that you had a friend like that. Yeah, wait. He stalked him, found Chick, found the management, and begged them to listen to the tape. It was a timing thing. It was perfect. Mm. They thought he was a little crazy. He was, you know, he was always a stoned hippie kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he was also the guy that was instrumental in in the Paco and wow. me doing Mediterranean Sundance. Unreal. Not that he brought Paco over here, but Paco. The record company brought him to the village to to record at Electric Lady, on, which was going to be part of my Elegant Gypsy record, my second record. And uh, <laughs> Paco arrives, doesn't speak a word of English. He had a friend translating, and he was just so nervous. You know, it just—I mean, I was nervous, but he was much more nervous out of his safety zone, right? Of the flamenco safety zone, you know. Uh, and he couldn't play without getting high. Right. He just needed some good smoke, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So my friend was like the first, oh, I can get you that. Yeah. So Michael goes out, gets the stuff, come, and we come in the next day, and that was the first take. Wow. Mediterranean Sundance was the first take. That's amazing. He came in stoned, he felt relaxed. Yeah. And at the end of that song, you can hear Paco go, whew. Yeah. And everybody in the control room <laughs> waving their hands. It's a moment you don't forget. Yeah. But Michael was instrumental in both of those. You know, I probably wouldn't be here. Had, had a, Isn't that funny? Had done these things. They knew how young you were when Michael gave him yeah, the tape? I, yeah, I was um, 19. No, but Chick knew you were 19 when he gave you a call. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh I, I don't know if he knew I was 19 at the call, although he was... I think you must have mentioned him. I'm up at Berkeley, and I don't think age was a uh, consideration because Chick was only 30 then, yeah. or 31. Where Where's Michael now? Is he still he around? He passed away. Pa- sorry to hear that. It was just a year or two ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Very sad ending to, to a life that uh, was unfulfilling in a way, uh, but uh, he always believed in me. He always was like uh, this big brother kind of guy that uh, he just he he would just go on and on and on and on with stories he was very intelligent and mm. you know I could talk to him about anything for hours but he had a sad a sad ending to his life sorry to hear that yeah yeah in fact I'm going to visit his grave this week okay yeah where's that in Jersey uh, it's in Paramus oh okay yeah very sad ending but yeah I have to honor you know what what he did yeah i had a similar thing happen to me because i had a cassette and peter gabriel called me up out of the blue and that's how how i got started i ended up at real world recording my my first three records you've recorded there i did yeah the the, the last trio record we did we stayed we lived there and recorded there yeah when i was there i found out you recorded there and i was like you know a lot of people record there but when i found out you recorded there i was like holy shit i'll give me a little recorded here i was impressed (laughs) well there's three studios yeah right so uh because john wanted (laughs) paco wanted to record all together Mm -hmm. 
I was in the middle. I, I didn't care each, either way. Yeah. But I understand John's... Oh, no, 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 the other way around. John wanted to record together mm-hmm. uh, in the same room live. Yeah. Which which is more like what we did, you know, Friday night in San Francisco. The only thing is we recorded for two months, played every night straight. Mm-hmm. You know, so we were hotter than hot. Right. You know, but going into a studio and recording live, you know, you're going to have clinkers here and there. You're going to have to fix this, fix that. So Paco was the one that wanted to record separately, you know, and get it perfect. Mm, he's you know, or two guys doing a section but working on four bars because he didn't read music. Oh, okay. I had everything written out. I had scores. I was so prepared for that record that, that they had actually upset both of them a lot. Why? Because Paco doesn't read. And, and it would mean a lot of work for John. Mm. So when I sent these three scores, which were like 11 pages each, mm-hmm. three-part harmonies, I just had a lot of time before that to, to write it, and I did it down here against that board there. And, uh, yeah, they... they. <laughs> so we wound up doing it, you know, in, in a fragmented kind of way. The end result is great. But what people really like is... Friday night. They like that spontaneity the live vibe and, helps. The, and the audience was part of the vibe mm-hmm. and the whole thing. So funny you bring that up because because behind that wall right there, I had all of the tapes. Mm. We didn't do just a Friday night. We did a Saturday night. Yeah. So between the Friday and Saturday night, we had enough material for two records. Mm. So there's four or five outtakes of pieces we didn't use on the first record that I've just listened to recently and I said, you know, this this has got to come out. Yeah. You know, I tried to get it released earlier on, but for some other contractual reasons we couldn't do it, or personal reasons, you know, everybody was very anal about this stuff. Now Paco's gone. His widow's in favor of the whole thing. In fact, she thought it was the same songs mm-hmm. just on another night. She's great. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. These are new songs. These are different songs. That's wild. She goes, oh, that's even better. I said, yeah. <laughs> you know, so now I'm, I'm I'm talking to John for like the first time in 30 years or so. Mm-hmm. We're actually talking again. And uh, we're halfway there. That's cool. Did you guys have a falling out or something like that? We or? just, we just, you know, with him being 12 years older, you know, um, there there were clashes, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, and he wanted his own manager to manage the thing, and he wanted to kind of, kind of control, in a sense, certain things. I don't want to trash John because John was was an idol of mine growing up too, and you know he he had his 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 things mm-hmm. of control and and you know, and I was this young Spitfire. Yeah, you know that was uh, a thorn in kid. his side. <laughs> I was a thorn in his side, and then you know we had the last funny thing. And I hope John, if you're listening, you take this as a funny thing because it is your your manager, John's manager, and my lawyer must have exchanged five piles oh, no. of faxes. That's expensive. Yeah, it was <laughs> because we had this unbelievable tour planned around mm-hmm. the world. This is now like a third tour or fourth tour. Yeah. And, you know, it, it got to the point where this was like a major act if we wanted. 
Really? You know? yeah, definitely. Yeah, so he 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 was threatening to not do the tour unless I would change the guitar that I, pl- I was normally playing. Why? Because he didn't like the idea that um, I had... The ovation? I had, because I had a volume control here. Oh. And they didn't. <laughs> oh my what they God. had was a microphone. I also had yeah. a mic, too. But... That's the way I, I I've always played an ovation, and you yeah. know ovations always had that that volume control. Yeah. So he says unless he plays an ovation without a volume control, I I'm not doing the tour. That's why I said, well, Come if on. you pull out of the tour, I'm not pulling out of the tour. You know, you can get sued. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is the tour is formed. Yeah. Paco and I don't want you know. He kept mentioning Paco and I, but Paco absolutely was not on his side with it. He just used Paco as a because you would turn up the volume and go louder than well, them or no, something. No, when I tried to explain them, when it was my solo, I may have turned up, but when I don't solo, I need to be able to turn down. Yeah. When I'm playing rhythm, because the rhythm is louder than the actual lines. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I need to be able to turn down. Yeah. He said, they f- it must have been two piles of faxes of, you know, just absolutely not or the tour is going to be canceled that's wild i said well i'm not canceling the tour so they they can't sue me you're pulling out you're you're gonna face the you know it got really heavy Mm. so i had to eventually sign what was like divorce papers Mm. you know meaning the size of you know the stack of papers i had to sign saying that i will not use my at any point my right hand go up to, to the top of the guitar to adjust wow. any volume control. Because I wanted to use that particular guitar. Why not? I did on all the other the records uh, for years. So I agreed to it. Yeah, I agreed to not go up and with my right hand and touch that thing once. That was the deal. I had to sign papers for that. So I call up Ovation. I said, I'm not allowed to touch the volume control on the top of the guitar. Can you put a little switch on the side? Ah. A 5DB switch. And, 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 and 5DB. Because they said nothing Come about my now. left hand. So when I'm going like this, whoop. whoop. You could have made it 3DB. You, you had Look to this. make it 5DB. So <laughs> maybe John has a point with the I 5DB. Affectionately call this, I affectionately call this the John McLaughlin button. That's fucking great. <laughs> That's rad. Did they implement that in all their guitars? All my Aldi Miola models have, That's that. cool. have the John McLaughlin switch. That's insane. So you can record, you can get it without the John or with the John. Yeah, I was watching you do some solo stuff with a percussionist, and you had that rolling thing, and you were then all of a sudden phasing in like some bass, yeah, and like synth thing. And I have, like, well, doing... it, has a, it has a million sounds, that, yeah, and, and most of them are not great. Yeah, uh, but I have three that I use, which is a kind of a bass thing. Yeah, which I love to use. Right, and I have this on the second one, second pedal. I have uh, it's kind of a bright sound. Yeah, it's not really a twelve string with that high like like. Yeah, thing. yeah. Oh, well, that oh, that's different. Yeah, and sometimes you use that just. It like had a, like a sustain a on sustain. it, like a sh- almost sounds like a cymbal, almost like sometimes. Right? Okay, when you stop. Well, it. I have a similar thing that's like a. It's almost like a twelve string. It's only. It's mainly because I'm playing more nylon now, so if I'm yeah. blending in with like the range of a grand piano, which is ten times the volume of the guitar, yeah. Yeah. or an accordion or percussion, which yeah. is my setup, uh, 
at times, if I'm playing in the mid-range, you just won't hear it. Yeah. No matter how loud you put in the monitors, you're not going to hear it. Yeah. So I kick in a little sound, and I blend it in with the foot pedal. Right, I saw that. And and it gives me enough where I could hear what I'm doing, but also it's a cool, it's cool a, effect. It, it works great, because I was watching, I was going... Oh, it sounds like there's a bass player suddenly, like it, you know, almost like old Return to Forever stuff, or yeah. like, you know, and it's like, oh no, it's him doing it. And then it made me think, like, why don't you use a looper as well? You with a looper and that would be insane, dude. I sh- you know, I really should. I, I should. I almost brought a looper because, like, somebody's got to show me how to use it, dude. I should have. I should have. I should have brought it because I, I had a thought here's, last. Here's my problem. Like. You and a looper because it's rhythm, need, rhythm, the yeah. rhythm of it, dude. Because you could tap out a beat, like just do a little, and you you playing it's like with the yourself. Arpeggios I'm doing, dude. You, I can't I can't get anybody to do them the way I'm doing them. You need a looper. So if that thing can like play the, the arpeggios and I could play my melodies. Oh on top. shit! I should have brought it. I, I'm gonna kick myself because I I thought oh of course he's tried this before. I've no I've seen it and I've seen guys use it, but. Uh, I'm I'm not a technical. I could guy. teach you how to do it. I just don't want to know anything about Pro Tools. Dude, I don't want to know. I could show you. I could show you the looping. I thing. write music. I write all the parts. You with a looper I would play be it. crazy. Dude. Playing it's hard. <laughs> writing it's hard. I don't need another. Dude, and, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm, I never get into like programming. I just know what I want. I oh, tell the, the people that are good at what they do. This is what I need. You know? It's so basic. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you a looper somehow, some way, or something. Maybe just I don't know. But you with the, like you with that thing and a looper, uh, you could it would take you into a whole other zone too. Now, can you map out a song? Yeah, you can. But you can also just like take loops in and out, so you can like have a rhythm set up and then like mute it. It's real easy too. And I you, think people are doing it more now than ever. Right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's true. It's but you doing it would be you doing it that wouldn't be normal people doing it so it would, i would just it would be i would like, just you know <laughs> minimize the sound the, the size of my band i think yeah it might yeah <laughs> if it worked i'm going hey wait a minute i don't need <laughs> i don't need <laughs> it would be interesting i should have brought it i would yeah i would work with it i yeah. would work with it i'll i'll, I'll uh i'll show you which i would one just I be embarrassed if something fouled up and then oh shoot no, it's pretty solid because yeah, okay. Bo- Boss makes a good one that's three. Okay. So you can have three that are synced loops and you can like take them in and out. As long as I have, a, you know, a guy set it up, you know, oh, man. I don't want to set that stuff up. It's so. basic. <sighs> it's like a good, it's like setting up a, a fuzz pedal. That, oh, good. It's nothing. Good. But so um, have you thought about like how intense it is that you ended up manifesting yourself into like your favorite band? Um, in terms of like Return to Forever and Chick Korea and stuff like that, do you think about the power of manifestation and do you consciously manifest things or do you think it just happened accidentally or what's your take on that? Well, I think, you know, there could be that higher power up there mm-hmm. that brought me back from what could have been, you know, the end of my life. Yeah. And somehow you know you could you could look at it as a religious experience in a way that you were meant to do this so i'm going to bring you back and give you the shot right you know so there's a little bit of that that's going on you know uh but they passed me the ball you know mm-hmm. this 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 was a big 
This is winning the lottery. Yeah. So it's what you do with the ball when it's passed to you. Yeah. That really counts. Like mm-hmm. the longevity part of it mm-hmm. was really more uh, more of a challenge than actually getting the gig because you can you can easily fade away. Right. And I think what what sustained the upward slope was um, the finding out I had the real, the ability to compose. Mm. Because I don't think, and I, I, I say this quite often, that, you know, we're in an era of really great players now. But it's, the great players are attracted by other equal players or, or whoever, whoever's ever playing that, that particular instrument. You know, if, if it's a guitar, your guitar players are gravitating to that new player. Mm-hmm. It's not a wide audience. But the guy could be phenomenal. Right. But it's it's the compositions that 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 people, I think, go, you know, attract themselves to. Yeah. And and that was something that Chick, uh, I have to say, to to his credit, he pushed us to write. Yeah. And and when I was nineteen, and he was pushing me to write, I was like, what? Why does he want me to? I don't want to. I don't want to write. I don't know if I can write. I I want to play his stuff. Mm. But he pushed us all to write, and then. As a result, we we got stronger on our own. We got our own recording contracts only a year, year and a half later. Right. In fact, I got my, my CBS contract the same day we got the contract for Romantic Warrior, right. which was a four-record contract. And so I, I on that day, I got an advance from both records, and I went home to my parents because I was still living with them. And I said, Dad, look at this. He goes, what the hell? What the hell? That must have blown his mind. <laughs> totally blown his mind. And, yeah. you know, the, the whole period was like, I, somebody don't wake me up. Just whatever this yeah, dream yeah. is, just don't don't wake me up. So here I am. We did like three weeks of touring. First show was at Carnegie Hall. Amazing. I come down from Boston. I come, I come back to my parents' house midweek or the end of the week, I remember. And they didn't expect me. And they go, I remember the screen door, and I remember my mother always had, it could be like the middle of the day, and she always had it locked. So I'm banging on the screen door. Mm-hmm. My mother comes to the door, what are you doing home? I said, <laughs> Mom, I'm playing Carnegie Hall on Tuesday night. My father's in the background. You can see him at the dinner table with the paper. You're not playing Carnegie Hall. Get the hell out of here. What are you doing home? Nuh-uh. I said, that. I'm playing <laughs> Stop it now. You're like, oh my God. Come on. Now, what are you doing home? I had to say it 20 times. Damn. So I went through the rehearsals those next two, three maybe days. Two, Nothing more than that. Two or three. Really long charts. Yeah. Scared out of my mind. But they liked me. Yeah. They liked me. I think I did some like funky kind of thing. And Lenny went, ah, I love that. I yeah. love that. Apparently, the other guitarists didn't do that kind of thing. And Lenny was really into funk music at the time. Yeah. <clears throat> so now I'm starting to get, you know, them more interested in this young, You're bringing this something. young guy. It's that, the Beatles. It's the fusion baby Beatles. Dude. Came in the, yeah. <laughs> so, and I could read music, which mm-hmm. was, was, a, was a vital part of what you need to do to play yeah. you know chick stuff so uh 
the three days went by. I was nervous as hell. <laughs> Carnegie Hall sold out. Fuck you know, sake. can't start in a club somewhere in Jersey. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Maxwell's. You know, yeah. I mean, beyond, I was frozen. I stood like this. Did your parents come? Huh? The parents came to the show? Parents came. The parents came. Sister? Sister came. And I remember I was on stage and I took the, the, the music stands. I can't find one. So I was standing with my Les Paul, the one that's right there. Mm -hmm. That's behind the you. 70. No, the black, no, the black yeah, one. one. Oh, that this one. This is the one. Yeah. Oh, man. Look at that's it the now. famous one. At that time, I think I had a Bigsby <laughs> on it. But this was oh, he heavy as hell. You had a Bigsby? Really heavy. And, and I remember I put the music stands this high <laughs> so I couldn't see the audience. Uh, really embarrassing. That's funny. And my mom gave me some Xanax. Oh, no. Like, like <laughs> a handful. Uh-uh. You took that before? Oh, I, took a, I know I took more than three. Oh, no. <laughs> and because I, the nerves were shattered. You That's know, wild. And, and uh, I had to get through this. But he, they, I remember he introduced me to the crowd, as a, you know, Al Miola. I don't even think he said my name right. <laughs> you know, and, uh, this is his first show, and they, they, they gave me a standing ovation, and my parents are out there going, this can't be happening. That's mind-blowing. And I remember my mom comes backstage, they're crying and everything, and then my mom says, uh, uh, oh, I was signing autographs, you know, and then somebody comes up to her, says, you're Al's mom, can I have your autograph? She, she signs it, Al's. Mom. Mom. <laughs> mom, 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 you put your name. You know? Yeah, Al's <laughs> mom. Things you don't forget. That's you know, beautiful. So the second show was like Houston Astrodome because we were part of the, um, uh, yeah, it just got stadium. crazier. Yeah. We did the Atlanta Braves Stadium, Cincinnati mm. Reds, and um, one other stadium somewhere. I, I think there was three or four. And uh, there was part of the Newport Jazz Festival, so it was you know, a lot of different acts. But here I am at second base, you know, 40,000 people. You know, it went, you know. And then we had a couple of clubs too, you know. So after that two to three week run in July of 74, um, we went into the studio in the record plant in New York City. And big moment for me, right? And who's in the next room? Oh yeah, John, John Lennon. Lennon. <laughs> no. Yeah, John Lennon. He keeps manifesting his heroes in his proximity. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, and I was a very shy young guy. I was like, you know, I'm not worthy kind of thing mm -hmm. going on for for a while. So, so the closest I got to John was I I was a lot a lot of the time in the hallway in between takes. And in that hallway was was uh, the door that goes into his full view of the board, and many times I saw you know John, the distance from here to the board, this kind of you know fifteen feet away. What was he, what was he and there, there he was sitting there. What was he recording? Double fantasy, probably. Ah, uh, double fantasy, maybe not. Maybe the wall, uh, the Walls wall. And bridges one, what was it? 74, whatever that okay, was. I have to look it up. I like the Plastic Ono band. The solo. You don't really care for the Beatles solo stuff that much, right? Or it's no. not your favorite? No, and that's when, uh, you know, the Beatles solo stuff, that's when they, that's when I ventured in a different direction. Mm. Um, 
Well, I had already gone in a different direction, but I was I was then exploring even more. Uh, whatever was happening in jazz and rock and fusion to me was the shit. Well, it became yeah, like you guys that ushered was the shit. you guys ushered that in, and it yeah. was huge. So, so the Beatles, you know, as I loved them, mm-hmm. and I just put them on the shelf for a moment. And and I was hearing a lot of the solo stuff coming out, and I was not a big fan of Wings or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, John and Yoko's stuff was sketchy, mm-hmm. uh, and George's stuff was not strong like the Beatles, mm. but it ha- had moments. You didn't think All Things Must Pass was pretty? Yeah, strong? I, had, I bought it immediately. Yeah. So so I liked it, and, you know, I liked it a lot. Uh, but it wasn't until I went through my whole, you know, the next couple of decades or maybe even three mm. you know, of, of music that I'm doing yeah. and and maybe discovering Piazzolla and this whole you know more progressive thinking uh, direction and becoming more of a composer uh, and developing that that was Piazzolla, really was that. the but tango I, tango guy or something yeah he's yeah. A, a classical tango, classical tango the father of classical yeah. tango and he inspired you right more than anybody, yeah, you know, and and because he he had, so what was happening? <laughs> As time went on, the, at the beginning of the fusion thing, it was very exciting. Yeah, there, there hadn't been anything like it, so we were ushering in, pioneering a new sound, mm-hmm. and I was just glad to be part of it. Yeah, really, a big you know, part of I it. didn't invent it, but I was asked to be a part of it, the and forefront. there I was at the forefront. Of of this jazz rock thing, mm. which uh, with basically three bands that spearheaded it, the whole thing, Weather Report, Return to Forever, Mafish, and Orchestra. Yeah. So the beginning was phenomenal, and it was new and exciting. It brought in a whole big rock crowd uh, that these jazz guys have never had before. Mm. And and I think after years and years of it, and then we spin off, we do our solo things. There's been a lot of offshoot people from those bands and other bands uh, that that were putting out a lot of music, not necessarily great compositions, but certainly a lot of very abstract soloing mm. to the point where it just got m- more and more abstract. Mm. Even chick stuff started to get more and more sometimes avant-garde abstract to the point where sales were going the other direction certainly not what it was when we were doing it right the electric band stuff is that what you're talking about especially yeah especially and and you know it, it was music that none of which was moving me here right at all yeah so i was going mm, boy i just don't know what's happening yeah so then i discover and i actually met Piazzolla on a tour, mm-hmm. on a festival tour in Japan, and I liked him immediately. Didn't know his music. Everybody in the band, including Piazzolla, were fans of my work, mm. which I was like, "Well, who are these guys?" But Gary Burton, the vibraphonist, was a special guest with with uh, Piazzolla at the time. I knew Gary, so it was an elevator ride up in the hotel, and Gary comes on. And I, I said, "Gary, I, I gotta ask you." What's what's Piazzolla's music like? He goes, Al, some of the hardest music I've ever played in my life. Mm. I said, Whoa, okay, I gotta I gotta check this out. So the 
the following days, uh, I got closer to these guys. They were they were, they felt like I was with, you know, Italian family members, mm. you know, like people from Jersey that you know, that are been in my family forever. And uh, Piazzolla said to me, Alberto, I'm going to send you my music. Mm. I'm going to send something that I wrote for mm. you. I said, wow, really? And then he, he would send me a letter, a beautiful letter, in the days when people were sending letters. Mm -hmm. And I wrote back a letter, which was unusual. <laughs> and then I got another letter and I wrote back. <laughs> but he sent me this, this score called Tango Suite mm. with a beautiful thing. I have it upstairs, I should show you, where yeah. he wrote you know, a little thing in there. Oh, dear Alberto, I really wish to hear you play it your way someday, you know, il tu to amico, amici, you know, mm -hmm. you know, abbraccio, which means big hug, master. Yeah. Yeah. Paris, 1988. Because right. he was living in Paris at the time. Right. And I said, oh man, this is so hard. How am I going to play this? So I saw him a few times after that, once in New York, tw twice in New York. And one time, <laughs> I was in New York at Avery Fisher and I gotta tell the story so I, I went with a couple of friends of mine and he starts the song and then he goes stop and everyone you know see the audience with it there was a little feedback we couldn't really hear it but it was right. a little feedback <laughs> now that is something I would expect in Buenos Aires but not in New York <laughs> I said damn that was so hip I gotta use that yeah. I gotta use it I've been using it ever since oh yeah that's a go to so and then I saw him at SOB's once and everything and then the last time I saw him in Amsterdam and we had just made plans that the very next recording was gonna be me and him mm. in any way that I wanted to do it he asked me, how do you want to do it? With orchestra? You want to do it with a band? You want to do it duo? And I'm going, man, I can't believe Bach is asking me these questions, you know. Mm -hmm. God, you know. To me, he was. And yeah. uh, it never came to fruition because he, from that trip from Amsterdam, he was going to Paris to finish his uh, opera that he was doing. And uh, he had a stroke. Oh. That was it. I'm sorry. To he hear lasted that. a year, but he he was in in the hospital a year and then died. Mm. But uh, from that moment, I then said, okay, I have to include some of the great work of of Piazzolla and dedicate a record to him, and and also include in my show at least one or two pieces, as I do with the Beatles. Mm. In addition to my own music, they'll always be a part of my shows until the last day I play. What is it about his music that moved you? The wide range of emotions. Yeah. The wide range of emotions. Because it, what was getting um, more and more distant from the jazz rock people, or jazz people in general, mm -hmm. is that it, be, it became music that, that is primarily cer cerebral. Right. Intellectual. Yeah. But not really moving me. Mm -hmm. You know, Moving moving an audience to tears is the greatest compliment you can ever get. That's true. But if you can get them to feel heartfelt emotions as well as intellectual. Yeah. At the same time that you're feeling like some depth 
and some maybe melancholy things or missing someone or, you know, uh, or even intensity. Um, you know, it was never at the expense of the music being challenging. It was right. still challenging. Yeah. So I said, this is, this is the connection. So it reinvigorated. The melodies are there. The yeah. melodies are beautiful. Mm-hmm. This is what was missing. This is what I was trying to convey to the jazz rock, my jazz rock friends and peers, mm-hmm. that we were getting more and more away from beautiful melodies and, and you know what I mean? And yeah. more into like atonal, you know, that you, is that a melody? That's the melody? Okay, you know, that kind of right. thing. You know, and the audience got to get smaller and smaller and smaller because it's not appealing to anyone but guitar players yeah. or fusion fans. Right. But even that was diminishing. So I then included the influence of Piazzolla, the reconnection back to the Beatles yeah. in, in recent years since the Abbey Road thing. And it's come full circle again mm. to the point where I'm a little worried about myself because I'm so obsessed with the Beatles now because I listen to them in a different way. Yeah. But I've reconnected to the absolute aesthetic beauty of this music is unbelievable. Yeah. And how they made it in their early 20s. Why are God you, only knows. Why are you worried about yourself? Because all I listen to in my car is the Beatles. Is the Beatles. Yeah, it is a rabbit. It can go, It can be a freaky rabbit hole, actually. <laughs> you, I, I'm a little worried for you, too. Yeah, no, no, no. Should, you should be worried. It's like... <laughs> you should be, it's, it's a worrisome it, thing, but... but it I, can but, be. But I think after this record, I'm going to give it a, uh, a little break. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever get into like Bob Dylan or anything like that? Or you're more a melodic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't obsessed with Bob, but I had right. I had New Morning. Mm-hmm. I had Blonde on Blonde. You know, yeah. sure. Yeah. And and I when I was a kid, we played some of his stuff. Although I liked the Birds versions better. Yeah. I was a big Birds fan. Yeah. What about Hendrix? I never heard anybody ask you about Hendrix. Yeah, actually. you know, because I don't emulate him right. in terms of style, but yeah. I loved Hendrix. Yeah, I mean, he's... I just can't play like him. Yeah. I don't try to play like him. No, you got your own Hendrix, thing. to me, like Clapton, yeah. were packages. Yeah. It wasn't just their playing. They had great voices. Mm-hmm. They were the whole pack. They look like rock stars. Yeah. I never felt like I looked like a rock star. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to play like them. Yeah. I never tried to play like them. Yeah. I'm not into the blues. Sorry. You're not? I'm just not a blues guy. <laughs> I, I just, I, I yeah, we all did the blues in the beginning, but it wasn't a thing that came out. I'm more of a Latin musician. Yeah. You know? But I don't like force that thing into the Beatles thing if I do a Beatles mm-hmm. tribute. Because that would be corny as shit. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, great appreciation for, for them. Yeah. Great. Why do you think it is rare that people compose music? Because there, there's so many musicians that are excellent t- on a technical, cerebral level. But those ones that can actually push your heart are so rare. Mm. Why do you think that is? Do you have any theories about that? Not a really a theory about it, but it's a it's a whole other thing. It's almost like playing two instruments, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm always amazed that someone could play the guitar great and piano great, yeah, like a Ralph Town or a Gilberto Gismonti. 
they play mind-blowing piano and mind-blowing guitar. Mm -hmm. But to play guitar and compose the way I've composed, I think it's the result of my influences. Mm -hmm. I had great influences starting back with the early 60s stuff. You know, it wasn't just the Beatles going to the Fillmore East getting that influence, yeah. uh, having a great teacher. So I had the, the tools. Um, all that music through through the 60s was, we'll never have a 60s again. No. Come on. It was phenomenal. Yeah. Hanging out in record stores. Yeah. And then, and then discovering Miles and then the introduction from Miles of all the guys that emerged from that band, like Chick, Joe Zawinul, yeah. and John McLaughlin and all, and, and seeing Ma Vishnu, which was like the, the most original thing since Jimi Hendrix experience. Mm. And I was like, holy Jesus, there's a whole new thing developing here. Yeah. And that band actually inspired Chick to go electric, which I became a part of. Are you talking about Bitches Brew era? Well, Bitches of? Brew was, was really the one where they were all on that record. Yeah. They were all part of his band. And so the spinoffs were Return to Forever, Mahavishnu, yeah. Weather Report. And Keith was in the band, too. Keith Jarrett. Keith Jarrett, yeah. You know, Ayerto, Billy Cobham, Lenny White, you know. Billy yeah. went off and did his own thing. But he did first Mahavishnu. And so all of that, uh, I think Chick's ability, because of all of them, he was the best composer times a million. Mm. He was a composer, yeah. not just a great player. Right. Ma Vishnu was a blowing band. The compositions were minimal. Mm. It wasn't really about the composition. It was about the fire. It was about the fire. Yeah. It was about the playing, the playing at a million miles an hour. It was yeah. very exciting. Yeah. Uh, Weather Report was a conceptual, like, uh, acid trip Wayne Shorter yeah. yeah it was you know until later I think, I think Heavy Weather had some great songs on it and Jocko but, it, but initially in the earlier records when they were developing it wasn't about songs it mm. was about spatial kind of con conceptual pieces not necessarily you can hone in on okay there's the main melody there's the next section there's the next section it wasn't like that yeah. Chick was very much more in a classical uh, frame of mind. Right. So the compositions were really recognizable compositions. Compositions on top. Yeah. So I was highly influenced by this. Yeah. And at that age, it was a good. It was a good beginning for me. Yeah. You know, and then then tying in all the things before it. Uh, and after, right, the Piazzolla influence, and then going back and rediscovering the Beatles, I could see where what I do in my own compositions come from. Right. How did it? How did you wind up that Jaco Pistorius recorded his first ever recording on Land of the Midnight Sun? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. He, it's the first time he ever recorded in a studio. That's crazy. How did and, that and I, yours, right? I, oh yeah, I mean, I, I started out on bass, so like Jocko and Stanley Clark were like huge to me too. So Jocko was uh, first discovered, uh, not necessarily by me. It was just I, I just happened to have gone to Florida during school break, oh, right. high school break, mm. like we all did. We all went down to Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, 
Spring Break. Which nobody does anymore, but at that time it was Fort Lauderdale. Do. Right. Oh, right. And so there was just a lot of people talking about, oh, this is guy, man, you got to hear amazing bass player, Jocko, 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 Jocko. And I finally got to meet him either then or right after I graduated high school and went down there again. And we stayed in touch somehow. It's it's really vague now because it's going back 45 years. Yeah. Uh, and I think I got him a gig. I remember Bobby Columbia, the drummer of Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Okay. Said they were looking for a bass player. I said, well, I, I know a bass player. Maybe a too phenomenal bass player. Yeah. But there's this guy, Jocko, you should check out. Mm-hmm. So Bobby heard him because of me. And not only wanted him in the band, but he wanted to produce his first solo album, which he, which Jocko did in right. like two or three towns north of here. That's where Bobby lived at the time. And the studio was in his bedroom. Mm. So they recorded Jocko's first album, Bobby Columbia's Bedroom. You know, but he had not yet recorded or, or no, he first did my record, then he did his record. That's what it was. Mm. But then he had not yet, uh, he first toured with Blood, Sweat, and Tears, did my record, didn't did his record. That was the order. Okay. That was the order. Yeah. So that's how that happened. Yeah. And then from that, uh, you know, very short stint with Blood, Sweat, and Tears, he got the gig with Joe, the report. Joe Zonwinfall. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because his mentor was Joe Zonwinfall, right? That, am I saying his name right? Zawinul? Z- yeah, the... The Joe Zawinul, yeah, right. Joe Zawinul was the was the you know main composer, or he was the main guy for Weather Report. with Wayne Shorter, right? In Weather Report, and Joe was tough. Yeah, that's what I heard because on that Jocko documentary, it's yeah. like he broke Jocko's heart with the solo record. I'm thinking, just sitting here now, thinking it seems like Chick was your a big mentor for you, and you got I feel like a good one with that, like a supportive, hey, right, and then. Jocko got like one that's kind of like an abusive mentor. Like it was a little different for Jocko because Jocko wanted to push his own stuff. Okay, he says I got some tunes, man, you should hear. Yeah, and Joe was more like uh, not so open, right? To to and was a little bit uh, maybe hate to use the word jealous of, of, yeah. of Jocko becoming a superstar. Yeah, he dismissed his record too. Yeah, and, and also had something. Yeah, so Joe, Joe, and him had clashes. Yeah, you know, and had to kind of force his tunes on to, you know, Wayne was easy going, but to Joe, uh, Joe, Weather Report was about Joe's music and Wayne's mm-hmm. music. Yeah, it was a threat. And so Jocko comes in with Teen Town, which was phenomenal. Right. Yeah, and it was like, what the hell is this? Yeah, <clears throat> and I think Joe was like. Uh, I don't know about this piece, you know. Right. You know, yeah. a little jealous. So, but when you made your solo records, what was Chick's reaction? Did he ever give you any support or I think it was, or? I think once he, 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 he once he built the monster, mm-hmm. and, you know, he, he, he was the developer of the monsters. Yeah. Cause, because Stanley Clark too. I mean. He pushed Stanley to write. He pushed Lenny to write. Yeah. He pushed me. To, the the one guy that really didn't want to do that was me. So when I when I wrote for Lenny and Midnight Sun, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I I I wasn't confident. Yeah. Uh, but it 
was the biggest selling debut album of Columbia that year. It holds up too. I just we listened to some of that on the way up here. It still sounds great. I, I haven't listened to it in years, but yeah, it, it's just... it's real good. Well, that was Elegant Gypsy Suite we oh, listened okay. to too. Yeah, Elegant Gypsy of... was when I really oh, felt that, like I think that. I've got something here. That's crushing. Land of the Midnight Sun holds up though too. Well, you know yeah. what? You're listening to an analog tape. Yeah, tape. That's what I was... Yeah. An analog... You don't go back and listen to your music now anymore? You know, I don't have a record player. Yeah. And and all I have is a CD player in the car, and I listen to everything on my phone because I travel so much. Yeah. So I forgot what records sound like. Mm. You know, just for convenience, I have it on the phone. Yeah. And it, I'm sure if you put on a, a vinyl, it's going to be like, whoa, I forgot you know mm. but no, I listen sometimes to to very rarely to old stuff I'm usually listening to the new what I'm working on currently you know but yeah. I do know that I don't care what they say there's something about the analog thing you talk to an engineer today they said nah nah if you know what you're doing you can get the same sound pro tools the best engineers will say that yeah Chad they Blake. really think Chad Blake mixes a lot in, in the box, and he's all for it. But they, they're all they, for it. They got plugins now. I mean, it, they can do better. But yeah, I think tape still There's wins. Just something for about, drums about that drums, drums. especially the keyboards, cymbals. not necessarily uh, overdriven guitar. Yes. Yeah. Acoustic guitar, not necessarily. You know what I mean? I feel Vocals. You. Not necessarily. Right. It's the things that want that saturation, like drums and electric right. guitars and benefit from and tape. And those records sounded great. Yeah. And here's another factor. Why do they sound so great? Well, Other than that. I was going to get to that. I know what you're going to go with that, with this thing, right? Right. I, know, I wanted to ask you about that. <laughs> Nobody talks about but it. This is a good theory. And but I I'm totally tell you I agree with you. And I could expand on it, too. Right, but go for it. It's, no, it's it's. I remember. It's okay, it's a good one. So so, <laughs> I come from a period where where when we started out, no there was no such thing. I mean, the idea of this would have been like what was that a World's Fair thing? You know, the future. You know, yeah. No one thought of a personal phone. Yeah. When we went in the studio, we would tell the, the secretary to turn off the phone in the control room. Right. We had all the musicians had total focus on the recording. 100. Total. Right, they weren't on Instagram. Total. No girls total, allowed in the total studio. Total focus. Occasionally a girl would come in the studio. It's like, just, gotta get her out. Gotta yeah. get tell Yoko she's gotta leave. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so we had total everybody involved focus. Mm-hmm. But then you noticed, you know, when when computers and cell phones become, you know, so prevalent. And we were doing that record at the power station before it became Avatar. As a record, I think it was called uh, "Pursuit of Radical Rhapsody." So that was they had the best room that that big, the big wooden A room. Yeah. And we were in there with Filippetti, Frank Filippetti, great one, one of the great engineers of our time. Mm-hmm. And uh, just watching everybody, we do a take. Nobody comes in the control room to hear it, but they'll go out in the hallway. Mm. On the couch with their feet up, with their with their computers, yeah. or on the phone, or checking their you know networking shit, and everyone. And I and I walk out there. I go, look at what is this? Yeah, they could give a shit. It's because we're motivated by dopamine, and if you have 
a crazy dopamine source right here going like jing, 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 jing. It's going to draw you in every time. But if you're like without it, you need your dopamine from like, oh, let me get this killer guitar. It's a guitar terrible addiction. That, it is. That we all Cuts have. Cuts our knees off. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not immune to it. I, no, I, hell I, no. None of us I'm, are. We are so, it's not the same. No. So but, making a record now is torturous. Mm-hmm. Because of the lack of focus yeah. from most people, which one of the reasons why I did most of the instruments myself yeah. is because it takes longer when you have a guy that's constantly uh, interrupted by his phone oh, or yeah. have to, you know, checking his own thing. Yeah, Everybody's into their own Facebook, promoting mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah. You know, I got musicians in my band. They don't even... They don't even say that. They just say, I'm going on tour, on tour. They don't say with who. They <laughs> yeah. want to promote themselves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, hey, man, you're fucking going out. You know, your whole next three months are with me. You don't mention me once. You know, it's Come sick. On. They got to mention you. No, no, no. You'd be surprised. <laughs> People are into promoting themselves. Yeah. And even though they may have done a good take, mm-hmm. they first got to check out in the hallway, who, you know, yeah. what has happened in the last one hour, half hour, I better see who called me. or yeah. what, who, who liked my last or, post. Or if I, I'm getting that gig at the, the end of March and, you know. So it's changed. Yeah. It's changed. So when we go back and we listen to those records we love from the 60s, mm-hmm. man, are they good. They're so good. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with the focus. It has everything to do there. with that. I totally agree with your the point. Focus. Absolutely. They I, could do no cell phones in the studio. Listen, there's ways to battle it. And like, Can you imagine if you get the guys, well, I thought about that, and you say, look, here's the deal. You even have to sign this. I want you to sign this. You're yeah. going to make this. No. Like like your volume thing. Yeah. Sign a thing like no, no fucking this. cell phones. <laughs> like, sign this. We'll call it the John McLaughlin contract. contract. <laughs> right? <laughs> Promise yeah. that your right hand yeah, doesn't ever dial and your left hand doesn't hold the phone yeah. at any time during the project. You can never get somebody to do it. Yeah, you could. I thought about it. You could. You, You'd like, have you, to you could pay say, a lot more. No, you just say like, hey, listen, no, like, you know, no phones except for when we go on break. You know, uh, uh, in the studio. I think everybody is... Getting There'd hip. be a lot of bathroom runs, and then there's nothing uh, you could do about it. Everybody's getting <laughs> everybody's getting hip to the fact that these distractions are getting you know overwhelming. I like for me, I start my day with like yoga. I go to a hot yoga class just so I. Oh, you do that? I do every day, just like because it gets me away from this for the first two hours of the day. You're just watching that, and I do so. I know not, not the big one, yeah, yeah, yeah that guy. the LA guy, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like, uh, <laughs> I, um. But it helps. With, I put a mantra in my mind. You know, I use the Ho'oponopono mantra, which is I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I just try to like have that going through my mind. And I do this yoga practice and I get away from my phone. And then when you're in that situation, inspiration can actually come because you're not, you know, I, I actively fight against that addiction. I, of course, I still have it. But uh, I think there's ways you can battle it. Do you do anything along those lines, like yoga, any physical? No, she's, she's introducing me to a lot of that stuff. That's great uh, shit. Uh, and um, I just have to do more of it. I have to be more disciplined with the phone. Yeah. Uh, because there's just so many places to go. Yeah. Look, 
and you wind up going to places you don't really need to go. A lot of it but, can be good. It can be educational, but you yeah, know. yeah, I know. And and there's no turning back. That's, yeah. just, that's the that's the reality of it. But man, there's so many places and things to investigate and check mm-hmm. out. And the truth is, it, it has its pluses of that course. are unbelievable. I found a couple of guitar players that are like, holy Christ! Yeah, like who? Uh, well, there's a guy, he's kind of well-known from Brazil, Yamanda Costa, mm-hmm. Yamandu Costa. Uh, and he's, he's doing some great stuff that, uh, I've reached out to him that maybe we could do something. Uh, yeah. Incredible. Incredible. And then there's this young 20 year old electric guitar player from Palermo, Sicily. Mm-hmm. And I go, what the hell? I wrote to him. I said, what are you doing? You're killing us. Yeah, what's his <laughs> Unbelievable. name? Unbelievable! I said his name Matteo Mancuso. Uh huh. What's what about him is killing you? Uh, his improvisational ability is like light years, light years. Like it would take a couple, two, three lifetimes to just what the hell? How did he get so? It, it was almost like when Jaco came on the scene. Mm-hmm. How the hell? Did he get so good, so fast? So there, there are natural born sponges, mm-hmm. you know, that just can get stuff, and a lot of them can do it without reading. You know, they just, they just, phew, their ears are that developed. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, you, that's what a cell phone and the, and getting online can can do if you happen to search. Right. And sometimes you don't have to search far, and then it's like, well, what is this guy doing? You know, mm-hmm. And there may be one out of a thousand that will be like, oh, my God. But do they write? Yeah. You see, That's always if the they Achilles don't heel. write, what they don't realize is they'll only have guitar players right. digging them. No chicks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no girls. Right. All guitar players yeah so to to i think what broadened my audience a lot was not when i played with return to forever Mm. because that was some hardcore jazz rock stuff that chicks also didn't like right (laughs) but but when i started you know letting the influence of piazzolla maybe an addition of a beetle thing in there and have it influence my music as well there was enough of, especially when the show was acoustic and not electric, there was enough of an ingredient that could branch out to to a much wider audience. Yeah. And, and both sexes. Yeah. And, and, and evidence of that is, you know, we, we all like to sign our CDs after the show because that's really, that's the only record store left yeah. is right at the gig. Yeah. So, you know, you, you realize, you know, when you're, you're signing for... Not just guys yeah. anymore. That's a good sign. It's a, it's a tremendous <laughs> sign, except you know, the girls are a little bit older. You know. Yeah. Well, it is what it is. <laughs> Remember me from? Uh, no. no I, <laughs> you know. The young kid you mentioned when you when you reached out to him, did he know who you were? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, was he, he was blown like, away? Like, he was like, "Oh my God, I'm so honest. Is this real? The real, really Al Demiola?" You know, and and, this, and the other guy too, because I also contacted Yamando the other day, because I, I these are got 
look, the kid, I'm not so sure because I don't know how much electric I want to do after years of, you know, torture in my ears. Uh, it was a maybe thought. You know, it, w it would be kind of like what I felt when I joined the guitar trio with Paco. Mm -hmm. I was really in a place that I'm going to sometimes get my ass kicked, but but I'm going to try my hardest to, to overcome that. And that's really uh, the best situation at times to yeah, be in, to healthy, grow. Healthy to competition. Grow. Because, you know, when you're in your own band, you're in a comfort zone and you're, you know, it's it's... Mm basically you're carrying the ball but when you're with two other guys that are that are like wow monsters you know then you pull things out of the hat sometimes that you fight harder to to have that healthy competition which is what we did in the trio yeah and you know i'm kind of at this point in my life saying can i do that again maybe you definitely can well it's it's about seeking discomfort. You know, that, it was a lot easier back then, you know what I mean? Like when you start out, you don't have a lot of stuff. Yeah. And a lot of obligations, a lot of... Back then, it was only guitar. Yeah. There were no bills. There were no family. There were no kids. It was, yeah. it was just guitar. And that's yeah. what this young kid has in Sicily. Yeah. He's 20 years old. He probably well he does all day's practice. That's good for you though. That's it's good. good for you. That's no, no, gonna no, be no. good. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's very it's very good. It's very good. But it's yeah. it would it would be a uh, I would have to like pre announce before I play. I said, Look, everybody I want you to know this kid is gonna kick my ass. <laughs> nah, dude. <laughs> but I'm gonna give it my best. Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.